Welcome back to Your 1230, the only podcast where our guests tell their story with the help of 12 questions in just 30 minutes. I'm your host, Mike Salitro, and today we are thrilled to be joined by Amy Scruggs. Amy uses her combined 20 years as a media executive, TV host, recording artist, public speaker, corporate spokesperson, and sales professional to help others present and communicate a concise and professional message. Amy's career also includes her accomplishment as an author with her book, Lights, Camera, Action, reaching bestseller in fall 2021. Her new music, Love Another Day EP, released in 2022, and the single, What If It All Goes Right, is now on radio and charting worldwide, including Nashville Music Row Charts and selected for the New York Times Summer 22 playlist. Amy, welcome. We are really excited to be speaking with you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here with you. It's nice to hear. Thank you. Uh, there is so many things in that bio. Your background is very impressive and you help others message concisely. So if you meet someone new, how do you concisely message? What do you do or what you're up to? I start with just saying, hi, I'm Amy. And after 20 years with a combined career in sales as a TV host, a recording artist, and communication specialist, I have combined those to helping others to craft their message, get their best selves out there, whether it's their business or their nonprofit, so they can create more opportunities to either raise funds or raise um, profits for their business. And this is what I do by helping professionals just come alive in how they craft their communications, whether on or off camera. Very nice. What is holding most of us back from being able to do that on our own? Because that sounds like, well, that doesn't sound too hard, but it's very difficult to do it right. So what's holding us back and how do you help the people that you work with, your clients get to where they need to go? The number one thing that holds everyone back is self-awareness. There are so many great individuals, professionals, community leaders that just don't have that self-awareness to realize how their message is coming across, how they're representing, what their body language is, what their common words are, what is holding them back, maybe insecurities that keeps them from presenting themselves in that way that's going to resonate or create that magnetic combination to connect with somebody. And it's and it's that self-awareness of not even knowing how they carry themselves that really holds most people back, which creates the insecurities, which creates those times that individuals don't want to be in front of the camera, don't want to do public speaking, which is the most common fear, public speaking. So, But it's the self-awareness that stops you from really taking those next steps forward. That's really interesting. I was not expecting that as an answer. And mm -hmm. self-awareness is one of those things that generally I feel people have or don't. So how do you how do you coach others on self-awareness? We start like from the inside out. It's so much fun because a lot of it comes with just even how we recognize our own face and how we express things. And unless you go back and really watch yourself, how do I communicate? I have professionals watch their conversations on the phone, like in front of a mirror to maybe record themselves, you know, watch back those Zoom meetings on how they present. What are some of the common things that you're noticing? What are some of those common behaviors, common words that you're using? Because there's so many of us that are just on autopilot with how we communicate. We're bringing it from our family of origin. We're bringing it from our culture, our industries, whatever that thing is. And we don't ever stop and think, how can I revise this? 
It might be just a way that you're holding your eyes or your face, you know, the resting face. We could talk about that for the whole <laughs> half hour. But it is a thing. And it's really such a huge component to how we communicate. If you saw a keynote speaker go on stage and they were hunched over and scowling, you're probably not going to be too interested in what they're about to share. But those that come on stage that they stage that know how to use their body language, know how to resonate with the audience, make that eye contact, use their arms, keep their face animated. It doesn't matter what their topic is, you're paying attention more. So a lot of it comes down to that, how we carry ourselves that really changes where our message is landing and to who. I, I love that answer. And I took down a bunch of notes because I want to follow up. There's a, there's a lot of things in there I want to ask you about. Uh, the first excellent point about de defaulting to autopilot and that sometimes we that's where we go because that's what we're comfortable with. We think it's good enough and we don't even realize that we're doing it. And you mentioned up front the things that we all kind of hate doing, the recording ourselves, watching ourselves in the mirror, watching yes. back our Zooms. As you were saying, I was like, oh, no, I, I don't want to do that because then you then you pick up those things. Uh, but that's that is how you break and understand that. All right. I can't default to my autopilot. I'm seeing what others are seeing. And if I don't yes. want to watch it or it's creeping me out, nobody's going to want to tune in. Um, my question here, uh, you mentioned having that speaker step on stage and, and being someone who comes alive and that people want to listen to. How do you help people do that authentically? As somebody said, that's not me. That's not how I communicate. But how do you get, how do you help them get there? You know, it's funny because it really actually is how people are. If we, and I, if we were to meet or I just meet somebody candidly and say, oh my gosh, tell me about your kids. Tell me about your vacation. Guess what happens? What's the first thing people do? Oh, it was so great. First we went here and there. Oh, my little four-year-old is so cute. He just started taking karate and oh, people come alive. It's there. So crafting that storytelling and teaching individuals of all walks of life, because I'm saying I work with older professionals, nonprofit leaders that are already retired and think that they can't learn how to do this. I, I work with young adults and high school and college kids on how to use some of these skills. So it doesn't matter what your age is or what you're doing in life, learning how you put yourself out there. So a lot of it is that storytelling. We all know those that take too long to get to the point with a story. Well, that's going to come out in whatever it is you're doing, because again, that self-awareness, how do I get to the point? Where does it land? Where do I get excited? And when you learn to take those same habits of your enthusiasm in other places and say, now let's that insert it into your presentation. So let's say you're preparing for a keynote or you have to present in front of a group or your company. Doesn't matter if the topic isn't exciting. Learning those key components. What stories can we tell to level up and make it entertaining, to make it relatable to others? There's always a story about something that people can relate to. So we break it down into all the components and say, now let's tell it in this order. All right, let's try it this way. Okay, that's funny. That's a spot where you'd put a joke right there. That was funny, even though the person might not realize that that's something they could even bring in the humor. Now you're connecting with your audience. So there's so much that you can look from the top down when you're identifying how to present something, anything, even if it's bad news, even if it's somber news, you can still come with a place that shows compassion and empathy. And so there's ways that we can learn the message behind our words and also the delivery behind the message that makes all the difference. That's one of the best answers I've heard to that question, because I think you nailed it up front with the talk about your vacation, talk about your kids. If you have the right topic or something you are excited knowledgeable and want to talk about you do come alive and you have that personality behind it so if you are delivering the you know using the speaker ideally that's what you were talking about so it should go hand in hand uh, yes. so i really i really like the way you kind of compared those two things uh, 
having the experience that you have being in front of a camera, uh, singing, writing, uh, how do you know what the right medium is for a certain message or telling a certain story? What's a song versus what goes in the book versus what's what might be uh, something that's just a conversation? How do you figure that out? You know, we can tell when we know what our audience is. If I walk into a room, I know if this is a place that I can show my funny side or if this is, you know, I'm not going to do that at a funeral, right? There's kind of reading the room in every situation when we bring that out. And so I think that same discernment applies when we're presenting ourselves. If I'm going into a more serious environment, then I'm going to be more serious, but still polished and engaging and and present and in my active listening skills, maybe that's a time that I really show that I'm interested, that I care, that I'm using active listening versus I'm walking into a place where now I know I can just turn it on the second I walk in the room. Yes, I'm here. Okay, let's bring up the energy. Who do we need to encourage today? What is that? So the same thing goes with, let's say for the book, I knew that it needed to be practical and effective tips that anybody could do, not budget psychology and everything else was just, hey, this is this is how humans behave. This is the normal human behavior when it comes to public speaking, when it comes to being on camera and communications in general. And then I also knew to reach out to my network of other experts in certain parts of these fields and say, what is your advice? So the book wasn't just me as a talking head. It was really saying, where's my network that also are experienced in some of these key categories like first impressions. And like we talked about watching the tape, I got one of the best experts for that. So that was there music needed to represent me. And I loved it. My producer, who's one of the greatest music producers of all time, Fred Mullen, when we were in the song search with the Nashville publishers, he said, listen, she's a mature artist. I don't want any trucks, tattoos, or beer in any of these songs that you're giving me because that's not what she represents. And I knew that the music that I put out there needed to represent who I am and what my message is in these other platforms. I'm the former spokesperson for the American veterans. So positivity and patriotism is a big deal to me. I represent Present Rotary International, a lot of nonprofits. So positivity and encouragement was very important to me. But I have such a fun side. So bringing that music in and combining those things, you will notice that it's me and on brand for me in every project I put out. Then that's going to identify the audience for publicity, for interviews, and for everything else I'm doing because I've honed that in. That's that's a really good answer as someone who is good at delivering messages and telling stories. Uh, is there a go-to story that you have when someone's like, you know, I don't know if I can do this. I'm not sure. What, what is something that you did that could help me? Or is there, there are stories like, listen to this, or this will help you kind of focus, or this will help you kind of understand where we're headed. <laughs> yeah, I do have a funny one for you here. I was hosting television. And what I loved about the opportunity when we, before COVID, when I could be in the studio, I would do the online interviews where they were coming and actually via Skype then. This was prior to Zoom. So the guests that I was going to be interviewing, they were in the real estate profession and they were coming in on Skype to discuss the market, their business. They were partners. So I'm sitting in the studio and I can see and hear them before they are patched through and can see and hear me. So I'm watching them prep, get mic'd up and talk with each other. Speaking with each other in that 10 minute time frame, they were animated funny, lively, complimenting each other. They were having a great time getting ready for this interview. And one of them even said, oh, you're looking really sexy today. And the other guy said, thanks, you're looking sexy too. So they both admitted they were sexy and ready for this interview. My producer said, Amy, I'm patching you through now. And the camera came on and these two lively, wonderful gentlemen froze <laughs> and were just completely gone. 
hello. I said, hey guys, great to see you. They didn't know I was watching them. And those two were completely different individuals with the camera on. So my question is, and I share this one a lot when I'm doing public speaking, is where did sexy go? They knew they were sexy before the camera went on. They knew that they had a great message to share. Where was that disconnect? And it was that lack of self-awareness for what they were presenting and how that energy would drop when it came time to present it to somebody else. And if they had just kept that same enthusiasm, the audience would have received and seen what I saw when the camera wasn't on. So always, you know, I tell people to remember that story and think, okay, where did sexy go? Am I bringing that in right now? Because that's how people are going to know who I am. So then using that story as as kind of the backdrop, is it safe to say that the self-awareness is what is keeping people from is kind of fueling that fear of public speaking or when that when the lights go on that that is a yes. preparation yes okay the most common thing i heard sitting in that hosting seat and i interviewed hundreds of professionals of all industries everybody would say ooh is that how i look is that how i sound because people don't take the time to recognize how they look and sound they don't take the time to know well i know if i'm in a really serious moment, what my face looks like, or I know if I'm caught off guard, what my face looks like, if I'm happy or sad or mad or scared, what are all those responses that our faces make when they're reacting in a communication or interview setting? When you take the time to memorize that, you're no longer insecure about being in front of people. I know what my face looks like when I'm making certain expressions and uh, and articulating something of whatever category, because I've memorized what my face has done. So now I'm not afraid of it. And I don't mind that you see it. And as I tell every audience in, when I'm in person, I say, I don't see anybody that came in here with a bag over their head. You all came in here with your faces. The problem is you're not used to looking at it. And so then when you get up in front of people, you think, oh, no, everybody's looking at me. Well, we were all looking at you when you came in, too. So let's start getting comfortable with this and getting familiar and self-aware. If you don't like your body language, stand up straighter. If you don't realize you're sending that message of being approachable, how can you grow your sales? There's so many components to this. I, I just I love the way that you make you make very difficult things the messaging the putting myself in the spotlight I don't know if I can do this you break it into pieces that yeah people are looking at me whether I'm on stage whether I'm sitting next to them and this is something that I need to just kind of build toward and use a good story to to get people on my side ask the right questions if I'm in the host seat um, and kind of that that's where I'll go being in both the host and the guest seat which one do you prefer and which one do you find more difficult. Ooh, the hosting seat, definitely, because it requires so much incredible active listening, especially when our interviews that we were doing for the show were generally between four and six minutes, which means I had four to six minutes to bring the best out in somebody, get their backstory, who they were, why they were sitting here and what their call to action was. So being able to listen intently and get them past over speaking, over sharing, getting right to that point without being rude, making it interesting finding those key components, bringing it back out of them and bringing a nice call to close so there's an audience engagement possibility. I think that was where that skill set really went up for me. It's easy for me to craft my message. I know me, but I'm sitting with somebody new like you're doing here as a host. You sit with someone new every time and you have to be really using your active listening so that if it goes off the rails, you can bring it back so that you can steer it in the direction that's on brand for your show and keep it interesting. And I think that that's more difficult. I, you know, I will, I will disagree with you on that one. I find being the host, if I'm prepared and I'm ready and I'm listening, I can have a good conversation being the guest. I, I, I don't know if it's, 
it's just it's difficult sometimes to get into it. So I, I prefer the seed. It is. It's not easy. Interesting. But yes. Um, I love your honesty with that. That's fantastic. Well, thank you. Uh, I will. I will ask for your further honesty here. Um, I would be terrified to sing anything anywhere near public because that is not a skill that I have. Never have had. How did you realize that you were also a, a singer? Was that did that come first, or where where did that come along? Oh, in the that came first. At okay. three years old, I was already wow. climbing up on a piano and playing by ear and starting to sing. By five, I was practicing with the hairbrush on the fireplace. By eight, I was putting on performances in the backyard and charging admission for the neighborhood kids. <laughs> and by <laughs> nine, I had done my first solo in front of probably two thousand people. So that was instinctively in me without training. Now, yes. I took classic piano lessons for 10 years. I took vocal training all those years. I was in selective choirs and audition groups and all the things that you do. But the DNA just knew that that's what it was supposed to be. If you had asked me as a child what I was going to do growing up, I would have said I was going to be a professional singer. That was first and foremost my instinct. What did you sing as an eight, nine-year-old? Do you remember? <laughs> it's country. I was born and raised on country music with the last name Scruggs. That's kind of self-explanatory there. But I definitely lean towards country music. But you know what I used to practice was the national anthem all the time. I wanted to perfect that national anthem because I knew I was going to do it when I was an adult. I knew that was going to be something that I did. And it was such a difficult song that it caused me to have to really learn my vocals and where I could stretch it and how to deliver it. So it is funny. As a small child, I practiced with the national anthem. I was not expecting that. <laughs> I mean, 2000 is a lot of people. Do you have Was that the largest audience you performed the National Anthem in front of? Oh, no, I've performed stadiums. So thirty to 50,000 is the largest I've done. I think 50,000. Okay. If you could take time. us into the tunnel beforehand, what is that like for those of us who are, you know, would be <laughs> very lucky to even get on the field, let alone have... 50,000 sets of eyeballs looking at us. What is it Not like counting that it's live televised. So however Excellent many point. viewers are actually there <laughs> Excellent as well. Point. So just what comes up first for me has to go into complete reverence and humility because I understand the privilege that it is. I understand that if I put ego first, I could screw it up. And boy, I, I do not want to have that moment. You don't mess up that song, right? And so for me, I had to go totally quiet. Remember my why. Why am I doing this? And this is the same thing I recommend to public speakers or anybody getting ready to step up that have those same nerves, because it's no different. Those nerves for me in front of 50,000 are the same as somebody else's nerves in front of 20. And it's no different and no less important, right? So you stop and say, why am I doing this? Who am I doing it for? What is it benefiting? Where can I be reverent in this and honor the gift that was given to me by being in front of this audience, whatever that is, maybe it's going to be a huge blessing for somebody's business. It's going to help them maybe get a promotion. What an honor. I was given this gift. I know I have it in me and I'm going to give it my best and completely focus. And I tune everything else out. I'm not thinking about mom, dad, kids, separate groceries, car, nothing else, but every bit of that moment up until the second it's done. It really makes me, as you run through that, it takes me back to where we started this conversation, self-awareness, understanding what what I'm bringing, why I'm there, why it's important. But it is also in kind of unspoken, it's the, I'm not taking myself too seriously. I'm here to do something very important, but I'm not going to put so much pressure on myself that I can't perform. I'm going to keep in mind why this is, you know, why this is important and why I am where I am right now and who is 
uh, who my audience is, whether it's at 50,000 or the 20, I'm going to, I'm going to perform for that audience. Yes. And what a privilege that is. I've trained for this. You know it. You were asked because they were confident. They knew you could do it. You've done it before. So now go do that. Go have your moment. And that's how I feel when I'm standing there on a, on a professional baseball field, let's say, <laughs> and the camera guy's in front of me and the, the crowd is packed and they present arms and I see that camera guy just go now and it's live. That's televised. Ooh, it's like the world stops. It's unbelievable that I get to have this minute and 30 second moment in time that I can tell my grandkids I did that, that I can show others you can do this too. It's really cool. So you many stood- people miss moments because they let fear get in the way and think they can't do it. And I can sit on the other side saying, these have been the most amazing moments you could even describe and would have been ashamed to rob myself of that because I was insecure or not self-aware. Do you still get nervous performing in front of any types of audience? Is there any that makes you either either delivering a speech, maybe a, a reading, singing, anything that gets you nervous still? I'm still a human. So yes, those will start <laughs> to come in there. But I have the techniques and tools to quickly talk right down out of it. Okay, if I, what are the nerves coming from? Am I afraid I'm going to forget a lyric? Am I? Did I not work on that talking point? Am I unsure of my audience? And I'll talk myself through where I feel the root of the fear is coming from. Which part of this? Because it's not just, it's got to be coming from something. It's either going to come that I'm not prepared. Is my voice wavering today? Like one time I was real nervous. I was doing this massive ship commissioning ceremony for the Navy and I had bronchitis. I was very nervous because I wasn't sure if my voice was going to do what it needed to do. Right. So I identified the nerve, calmed myself. So I was giving myself the best and realized that's all you can do. You just use what you have, drop it, drop down the key. You're trained for this and do the best you can do. That brought down the nerves when I came up with the solution. What's the worst case and what can I do? And I think we can do that in any situation. That's that's the answer I was hoping for, because I would think that especially to have top notch performance, there always has to be that level. You know, anxiety is the wrong word, but that excitement before you go, the knowing that this is this is important and that there is there's a reason I'm here and I want to do a great job for everybody involved. So that's yes. Yes. I mean, I'm still human. I still deal with imposter syndrome and the nerves and those things, but it's the tools that I have cognitively that can do the workaround and bring me back to some sensibility. And it's okay. And at the end of the day, I've, oh, I've made some hilarious mistakes on stage, like on in major concerts and some of my biggest shows, I have done some of the funniest things I have fallen. I forget lyrics but I can laugh at myself. And I realize, you know, all of us have had those moments. I was the one in seventh grade that tripped on the sprinkler head and slid down the quad in front of everybody on the first day of school. Like I have, I'm the one that will have those moments, but if I can't laugh at it and realize I've given myself the freedom to be human and the audience is always accepting of somebody who's ready to be human. Recently, I did a concert in front of about, I don't know, a thousand people, literally forgot the lyrics to my own song. And I had to start over. And I had everybody laughing as I said, this is what happens when you perform at 50 instead of 30. The brain is going, everyone. All right. Does anybody else know the words to this one? Go ahead and throw them at me. And then I'm just going to start that again. And now they're endeared to me rather than making it awkward for everyone. And we can do the same thing in other situations. It's, you can't take yourself too seriously. I think that's yeah. also the, the undercurrent here. All right. So going back to the beginning. 
working with someone who is like, that sounds great, Amy. You're super talented. You can get in front of a, a big audience. You can get on TV. You can get in front of a stadium. Me, I, 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 do, I just do my work really well. Why isn't that good enough? Why do I have to be, why do I have to deliver this message? How do you help that person take the next step and then get to get in front of those 20 people or take, you know, take the next stage, take the next opportunity to speak and deliver their message? How do you help them get there? I remind them that it's the message for the one, like even for you. You may not want to stand in front of 20 people or 20,000 people, but even your message to the one, that one client you're trying to reach, that one business you're trying to impact, that one donor that you're trying to support the nonprofit that you volunteer for or that you founded or whatever that is, that one, if you're not self-aware or not realizing what message you're sending, it's harder to know if you're going to resonate and be able to capture that business or that opportunity. So it's just as important to have the same clear communication, the same self-awareness in dealing one-on-one with somebody with effective communication as it is for standing in front of an audience. I am no different in how I speak with my family than I am how I'm having this conversation with you right now. There's respect. There's active listening. There's real engagement. I know what my face is saying. I'm aware of my body language and the message that I'm giving them because they are just as important as standing in front of an audience of thousands. Very nice. Amy, where can our listeners find you or connect with you if they want to learn more? If you just Google Amy Scruggs, I guarantee you will not miss me. Thank goodness it's not a common name. (laughs) Amy Scruggs Media, Amy Scruggs Music. You go to Spotify, wherever you enjoy podcasts or music, you will find me, Amy Scruggs. So I'll ask, we'll we'll get out of here in a couple questions. As you mentioned that, do you have a favorite between writing, music, television? What is your favorite medium to perform or to, to deliver a story? singing is still number one. I, I, it's hard. I go back and forth between almost even production. I enjoy the back end of production of media production and helping others. But when you put the mic in my hand and I can take a song and I can make you feel something that is still the number one, it started at three. And I just don't think that that's going to change in me at 90. (laughs) It doesn't sound like that. Um, I'm pretty good at jumping around and not asking the best sequential questions. What is something if I missed that I should have asked you that I didn't. What I would advise to others. What is my my takeaway and piece of advice for others when they come to me? And that is to be limitless. Do not be stuck. You can constantly grow and expand. You can change careers. You can expand yourself into things you didn't know you could do. And you're going to live larger, broader experiences if you take on that awareness and take off the limits. That's wonderful advice. Amy, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an absolute blast. Uh, We will post uh, all of the Google results for your Amy Scruggs search and the show notes. Uh, I look forward to doing this again. Thank you very much for joining us. It was great to be with you. Thank you for this show. (laughs) 